Hello and welcome to episode four of Acting Related, the MySight.actor podcast. I'm Frank Prendergast and today I'm chatting to comedian Laura Omani, who is a children's television presenter on Body Brothers for RTE Junior. She was a member of sketch comedy troupe Cahoots and before lockdown hit, she was due to perform her new show, The People's Princess, to a full house at the Everman Theatre. Hot Press said that her humour is charged with a vibrant energy and that is something that is just true of Laura full stop. I'll be chatting to Laura about forging your own path, growing an audience online. Laura is going to share some insights into what it's like as a woman in the Irish comedy scene right now and her plans for bringing the People's Princess back next year even stronger. Okay, let's chat. So Laura, thank you so much for coming on to have a chat. Um, It's a pleasure. The minute I saw you were doing a podcast, I was like, I'm getting on that. (laughs) <laughs> and I, yeah, I'm delighted uh, to be chatting to you today because, um, you know, I, yeah, so I've been, th- I, I know I was saying some of this to you already, but I've been thinking a lot lately about like exactly why I started the podcast and like why I choose the guests I do and kind of what it's all about. Because I had it, like when I started it, I had an instinct, but I suppose I didn't, I actually didn't really question it very deeply as exactly what I was up to. And I've kind of realized that uh, I heard someone being asked, like ages ago, and I've completely forgotten who it was, but I think it was someone in the film industry. And they were being asked about like, how do you get people's attention? You know, people at the top, how do you get their attention so that you can climb the ladder and how they can, you know, how, how people at the top can help you up if you get their attention, etc. And this person was saying that they just think that that's completely the wrong way to look at it. And actually, you should be looking around at your peers and what mm-hmm. amazing things they're doing and helping each other up the ladder. And yeah. that really stuck to me. And I just thought it was, I just thought it was brilliant. And then more recently I was reminded of it because I uh, stumbled, I went down a, a Duplass brothers rabbit hole. We were watching loads of their films. And um, then I heard a podcast where they were being interviewed and they referenced a talk that Mark Duplass gave, I think in 2015. And the main point of the talk was the cavalry is not coming. And basically yeah. you just got to do it for yourself. 100%. And so, so in the last, uh, my last podcast, I was chatting to Jodie O'Neill and I was saying to Jodie that, you know, I feel that people say to actors all the time, just, you know, make your own work, make your own work, make your own work. And I'm like, that's like a phenomenal amount of work. And people say it as if it's like, yeah, just do it. And so I'm kind of coming around to, I'm kind of coming around to it in a way of like, you just have to do it. You just have to make it happen. And, you know, sometimes like in theater, that can be a huge undertaking, but I'm like, I'm just fascinated with what you're doing, which is you're just taking what's available, what you have, and you're making all this content and growing a huge audience. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, first of all, I haven't a clue who the Duplass brothers are, and I just kind of nodded along there going, oh, I know. <laughs> I used all my former uh, college training to pretend I knew where I'm very unstinted. Very convincing, yeah. I'll go Google them then, and I'll never watch anything by them. That's kind of bad person I am. They, um, they, have, some, uh, they have some great real. films. Oh, well, well, good, good. I'm not really a film person. <laughs> so really? No, not particularly. No, yeah. I love no sad series. Um, <laughs> get murdered. Um, I suppose what's interesting is I would never ever call myself like a maker. That gives me the gawks. Um, the <laughs> of being a maker, I make my work. Gawk, gawk, gawk. That's just that's just me because yeah. I do respect that there are people that do refer to themselves as such, and and they 
they are makers. I am a, an improviser, I think, first and foremost. Um, right. I have no desire to uh, craft a script carefully or deeply rehearse something or anything. So what's happened with mine is, I wouldn't say accidental, but in a way I have stumbled uh, into making content that I didn't actually intend to make. Um, and I right. suppose Instagram is my uh, playground mainly. And uh, the thing about Instagram is I just do my stories. I just do what's going on in my day for the most part. Um, and then it it has also provided me the opportunity to play with a few characters. But like these yeah. are characters that live with me the whole time anyway. I remember when I was getting married to Shane, my husband, um, in 2012, somebody asked Shane, which Laura are you marrying? And Shane said, all of them. And I thought, well, <laughs> there's always been a cast of, of Laura's. Um, you know, there are many characters that exist inside in my head. Um, and so they kind of just come on to Instagram without me thinking, you know, I'm not, I don't think I've ever sat down and be like, I'm now going to do a sketch sure. on Instagram. Only when I do um, my Irish speaking character, Shun, I know that I'm going to do a sketch about her. But again, she's improvised. I never write her down. Wow. Um, I don't, that's part of it for me. She's I don't great, know. by the way. <laughs> I love, love Shun. She's yeah. based on so many people. Um, and she, uh, she's totally improvised and she shocks me all the time. Like I'd have a notion of what her poem is going to be about, but I just, I just ream it out and then I give myself a fright. And, and that's, I think, I think it's, I started, let's say, acting by, by doing improv classes. I thought I was right. in normal acting classes and I suddenly realised, well, oh, this isn't what everybody else starts with. I was actually in an improv class. Right. Um, had her done it, actually. And, um, and I um, I didn't realise. I thought everybody started from this point. Sure. I thought this thing, you start by improvising. So therefore, I didn't start in a script-based uh, class. And so I feel like all of my content is basically just me having the crack. Um, but it has led to building up people that want to see me having the crack, which is great. But it's like, particularly during yeah. these pandemic times, uh, a lot of it is to keep me entertained. It's for myself as well, because I'd go cracked here. You know, like I sometimes say to Shane, I'm like, God, I haven't had a clap in ages. Like, you know, people were giving out about the clap for carers. I'm like, I'll take it. If people want to <laughs> that clap over, I'll take that. Um, so like I have to entertain myself or I would go cracked, I think. Yeah. So a lot of it is born out of a need for me to have the crack as opposed yeah. to me actively going, I'm now going to create content. Sure. And so because... You, yeah, I mean, you have just been producing a phenomenal amount of Instagram stories during lockdown. And like the timing of it is is interesting as well in the, from the perspective of, so you were a member of Cahoots Correct. and Cahoots announced that they were no more. That was like the end of May, but obviously that was when it was announced. Were you, when did, when was that actually? Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like, oh God, I loved Cahoots so much. And it is very sad that it is over for now. Um, I say for now because I'd never fully close the door on it at all. Sure. Because we had such a ball and such a great chemistry. Um, I suppose if we were being honest with ourselves, it had probably been fizzling for a few months. And we had all started to kind of follow our own paths a bit more. Um, and it was hard with Cahoots because... 
you know, we had a lovely uh, three episodes of the school and I think we felt like maybe we might get more. And then when you don't, that that's a bit of a knockback. Um, and I'm not, you know, the reasoning behind why we didn't get more is it just didn't, it just wasn't the right time or, um, you know, it was just a tricky one. And I suppose you have to eventually, and nothing can go on forever. And I, like, I feel like, uh, out of all of us in cahoots, I would be the one that would like things to never end. I'm like that in life in general. I'm like, I don't want this phase to be over now at all. I want this to just go on indefinitely. <laughs> never question it. Never think that there's more or less out there. Just keep kind of blindly going. But I suppose the pandemic gave us a moment for pause and uh, to decide that maybe it was time for a break. Um, I think we have very similar comedic styles, but also very different. Right. And we have to have an opportunity to um, kind of chase our own style as sure. well. Um, sure. Ty, uh, an amazing one-man show, absolutely beautiful, um, which is comedic, but also highly theatrical. And that hasn't had its full outing now as a result of the pandemic. So, sure. you know, has legs and he needs to be able to go and do that. Right. Don had defenders, obviously, and Dom has lots of kind of other theatrical interests. I think Dom enjoys being on stage very much like favorite roles was being Michael Collins and he was obviously amazingly suited to that so he has that element of him and then there's me and I'm kind of like um more of a Dunbelievables character you know like Cahoots was a, a much smaller type of comedy in style than I would naturally uh be good at but I think being in Cahoots made me realize how fun it is to be that kind of smaller version of yourself as well whereas like there's a Billy Barry and me just waiting to kind of burst out. So I feel like I am interested then in pursuing my own stand-up. And so while you could do all of that within cahoots, I think it would also dilute it for the three of us. And so we just have to give each other sure. a break. Sure. Um, and and groups, break, groups break apart. Like they, there's just, you're, we're all at different stages in our minds, in our jobs, in our careers. Yeah. I feel like as sad as it was to officially say goodbye to it, we didn't really want it to fizzle out without kind of sure. calling, you know, so that people are like, well, remember them, they're just kind of gone. We didn't want that. So we came out and said it online or whatever. And then when you see online and people are like, oh my God, don't break up. There is a part of you that's like, we're mad. We're mad. Yeah. We yeah. Um, but so I think it's the right like, time for us all. And we need to break. We need to break from the work. We probably need to break sure. from each other. And we just need to break. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Steps. I always say we're steps because um, I remember when steps broke up, I did not remember that. But a couple of years later, they did this really dramatic documentary about getting back together, about like, will we be able to get back together? They thought they were the Beatles. Um, <laughs> and so I'm like, in years to come, we can always just do a kind of steps documentary. I, like, oh, I look forward to that. Yeah. Back together. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, I you mentioned there, you like you started out studying acting. I know you first and foremost as an actor originally. Yeah. Um, you would consider yourself a comedian now. Um, yes. But at the same time, like I know, I know I've said this to you before, but like your performance in the Kahoot sketches yeah. is just wonderful. And I mean, I think, I think, a, I think a lot of comedians make such good actors because there's something about comedy that like you have to bring yourself fully to it, and then I think that translates really well to bringing yourself fully to a role. Like I was watching, yeah. I was watching Self Made on Netflix recently. And there was an actor in it and she just had, she just had such an amazing performance. She was so present. She was so free. And I was like, wow, who, like, who is this? She's amazing. And I looked yeah. her up and I don't, I don't 
like follow comedy that much, so I hadn't heard of her, but everyone else has. And it was uh, Tiffany Haddish. And she, she's on she, some of her, and I never watch stand up stuff, but some of yeah. her stand up stuff is on Netflix. And we start, we had to look at it because we were so impressed with her in self made. And yeah. she, she's one of the, she's, she just tells stories. She just tells stories about herself, about her life, about what's going on with her. And she's just yeah. entertaining and funny. And, but anyway, but, so my, but the main thing is that I just think there's something about comedy that, that makes for, um, and it, it makes for really good actors because of that practice of, of like bringing yourself fully to the stage. It's interesting because I definitely don't consider myself an actor at all. Um, I I would be a comedian first and foremost, but obviously a comedic actor as well. But I just think actor has connotations that probably aren't me. Do you know? Sure. I don't process. I don't. Uh, I can't go. You know. You know. You won't find me doing like warm up side stage. You'd probably find me messing, <laughs> yeah. like puffing and puffing and being like, "Sorry, guys, I have to do my spine rolls." I'll be like, "I'm gonna have." <laughs> glass of gin and then have a ball um, which is totally not the actor's process Stanislavski would be not impressed with <laughs> maybe he would because I'm so myself but it's interesting you said there like uh, I when I was starting stand-up I wrote this seven, so seven minutes is kind of the thing in stand-up at the start you have to have right. seven right so I wrote these seven minutes and there's only two people have seen it one was my dad and the other was Kieran Birmingham beloved Kieran Birmingham and uh, it was terrible it was terrible because I was writing a kind of you know observational comedy and both of them said Laura just tell your own story it's like what what do you do I had this whole concept and I'm just so glad I never saw the light of day because nobody would have laughed so it was like the night before my first gig I just threw it all out and was like right what's funny that's happened to me and I just kind of concocted a list of stuff that had happened to me when I was smaller as a teenager or whatever. And that was so much easier because I wasn't trying to be a fraud then. I was just myself. Yeah. Just my stories. Like the majority of my stand-up in particular, or like 95% of it is true. Like the only bits that aren't true maybe is a little tweak here and there for the punchline to be good. Yeah. But I really have a punchline. Like, sure. you know, when <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a stand-up, tell a joke. I'm like, I won't tell a joke because you keep <laughs> like 10 minutes to hear yeah. the the middle and the end and there isn't a bunch of like um but as well I feel like with comedy particularly actually with cahoots as well it was a unique opportunity to basically play myself all the time a version of myself and right. that is so much uh, that's such a joy it's so much easier than a script where you're like pretending to be someone I think I said this to you before like I was in a beautiful production of Spring Awakening it was absolutely a gorgeous musical very sad, very grim. And I was playing all the adult females. And um, there was one character, her daughter had an abortion, right? Very sad, very emotional scene. And a lot of the other cast were teenagers who were like so in touch with their emotions. And they were so amazing. They're actually a lovely cast to work with. But I, one of the nights got a tear out during the kind of abortion discussion scene. And like a normal actor who's in the moment, wouldn't even have registered it. But I was like, I've got a tear out. Look at that. I'm so <laughs> amazing this in my head now. You're so amazing. Look at you, the audience. <laughs> Which just like goes to show that I'm not meant to be, you know, I'm but not. That's, I mean, I would say that's, for, 
I would say that's a fairly normal. I mean, I think every actor does that. But I mean, the trick is to the trick is to come back from it. Yeah, well, I'm sure I came back when I was doing that myself in my head, and I just kind of felt always. I think as I got older, maybe I realized that there are like thousands of women better than me at acting in terms of like you know Peggy and Mike in the play by the Western World or any of the you know the big roles. Sure, I think I'd make a good Peggy Mike, but. And they want it more. They, you, I see in auditions, I see the hunger in people's eyes and I'm there going, oh, I sure. don't have Because yeah. I don't want yeah. to do those roles. I want to basically be a version of myself as much as possible. And I suppose now yeah. I'm kind of merging into just actually being myself. Um, sure. And up, you're just, you're just Laura. Like, so... And this it, is why it's, yeah, I mean, this is, this is kind of what I was talking about at the start as well, about like that, just figuring out <clears throat> what you want. And forging yeah. your own path. It's, yeah, and myself and the, uh, she's a great comedian, Julie J. She is a dear friend of mine and uh, also a, a great sounding board because we're very similar in our kind of moments. We have moments. And you could waste a lot of time being very negative and going, why does that comedian always get that? Or why does this comedian always get this? Or why am I not quite at this level? Or why am I not being called for this, that and the other? And like what you were saying, we had a chat the other day and I just, you have to build it yourself. You have to make it so that people can't actually overlook you because if they overlook you, they seem demented. It's like, well, why did you yeah. make that girl? So yeah. like, I, you could, I could be baking down doors now going, oh, please, please let me into the comedy world. Whereas what I'm doing is I'm just making my own world. I'm making my own audience. Yeah. Hopefully that it will grow to such a point that then people that are booking kind of comedy roles or whatever will be like, well, we'll have to see her because you you can't hide yeah. me because I'm yeah. there. And I think as well, there's a power in having built it yourself because you're building a rapport with your audience then as opposed to just being thrown at an audience and asked to be loved. You've put the work in. Absolutely. And, and like on Instagram, I think I said this to you, I unfortunately call my followers the gangbang. Don't, don't ask me how... <laughs> know what it meant and I realized what it meant this Christmas and I nearly had uh, a little heart failure moment <laughs> I asked them were they okay with me they were like yeah, we were more than happy to be the gangbang so but but them as a collective now like I feel a maternal love for them and I feel like uh, I care about what's going on with them just as much as they care about what's going on with me yeah. and I care about making them entertained I don't want them to click onto Instagram and be like oh god Laura didn't post today I hope she's all right you know like she dramatically left Instagram for a few days and do that every now and again to kind of keep them interested but (laughs) them to see stuff that they'll enjoy and particularly in the pandemic times I find a lot of comedians went down the bloody miserable route of like isn't this desperate and let's talk about how sad and bad the world is and and I'm just like that's not our job it's sure. not a, if you want to do that maybe go be a political analysis or whatever it is but like yeah. but like I feel as my job as a comedian is to make people laugh so even if I'm not having a particularly great day I think you know I should still put some happy content out for the world and as well I think with Instagram you have to be honest so there are days when I'm not having a great day and I'll tell them sure I'll be like day I cried in the utility room pity about me I have a utility room do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. So like there are, yeah. I just think, I just think as a comedian, 
your job is to make people laugh. And if you're not making people laugh, then you're not actually a comedian. And maybe you should be something else, you sure. know, be, be a presenter yeah. or a journalist or whatever. Yeah. So let's have a, let's talk about like building an audience because <laughs> Cahoots on Facebook had like 24,000 likes. Sure did. And, yeah. uh, and that's actually, that's kind of why I was interest, interested in the timing earlier, because like with Cahoots, um, announcing that they were no more lockdown happening. And then you used lockdown to hugely grow your own audience on Instagram. Yeah. Like you're, so you have like over 5,000 people following you yeah. on Instagram. Like I think how many, how many did you have at the start of lockdown? At the start of lockdown. And I am not beneath knowing the exact numbers because <laughs> I think there's people like, Oh, I don't care about numbers. I'm like, are you joking me? You're lying to yourself. I deeply care. <laughs> And I notice when they leave and I tell them, if you leave, I'll find you. I will come to your house and I'll come back. Um, because I think they need to have a serious look at themselves if they're leaving. Because I'm like, what is it that you're not into crack? Is it? you just <laughs> okay. Um, no interest in me because I'm not on a journey. I'm not on a weight loss journey. I'm not on a mental health yeah, journey. Yeah. Crack. There's no interest in me. Do you, uh, again? Do you teach people how to put on makeup? No, no. Can't you see from my bare face? Um, so I had about 1,800 at the start of lockdown. Amazing. I said to my husband, I said, this is my time. Lockdown is my time because they're at home. My gangbang are at home. They're waiting. They're waiting for crack. They're not at work. They're not busy. They need an outlet. I'm like, I said to him, I said, I want 5,000 by the end. And so I have over 5,000 now. Yeah. I like, and most of them, are naturally gotten. The 5,000 are mostly, you know, people have suggested me to other people. But as well as that, I do know my target market. Like, I do know that uh, mammies, mammies right. get me, teachers get me, um, members of the gay community get me. And so I know, I know that's my demographic. Right. And so, like, I've joined a few mammy things because I'm like, you mammies, you need me and I love you. So like, and it's been great for me as well, because obviously I get to see various kind of mammy businesses and all that as well. But I think you do also have to be aware of your appeal, who your appeal is. Um, while yeah. I, in a world, you would have mass appeal to everybody. I think there are people that are more drawn to other people. Um, so yeah, the 5,000, it's amazing. And now, you- I had about 4,800 there a couple of weeks ago and it was my birthday. And I did say, lads, I want 5,000 for the birthday. So I did <laughs> and go out and recruit. And they Brilliant. did. They Brilliant. Trump. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And you say, you know, when you say that, um, it, that it was grown organically, that was through, I, I know you don't consider yourself a maker, but it was through maker. consistently putting yourself in your stories was it yeah. is it mostly stories is was it was it primarily mine stories mostly, most of mine is stories um i do all through the pandemic um me and my little girl polly we did we did a hundred stories so we did um a live children's story every day at six o'clock so maybe so that was on igtv so maybe a few people came that way i think mm-hmm. maybe not much though because towards the end of that I was like we're literally reading stories for like two people um it was a hundred my god it was so much but I feel like uh the five thousand yeah like mine is mainly stories mm-hmm. and, uh, occasional post and the post is usually like something that is bugging me about 
either mammy guilt or just in general, um, that I need to have a little rant. And then right. you find rent people are like oh my god I'm feeling exactly the same way um, and I think as well like I do interact with the people that get on to me because I think it takes a lot to get on to some randomer that you don't know sure, and, and to to kind of engage in their life and their world that it takes a bit like I, I would very yeah. rarely someone myself um so, so I mean, yeah it sounds like you so it's it's consistent content but also it's it's that you're actually you are actually developing relationships with your audience totally. you're, and yeah. i'm accessible to like these people are lovely normal humans exactly the same as me i want to be accessible to them and i want to be able to to chat to them as well um and i've met lots of them like before the pandemic man point was just like i just go to man point for a walk so that people would say hi to me you know <laughs> Where they are. That's where the mammies are. Right. They're waiting for me. Yeah. And I'd be just walking up. I'd be disgusted. And Went to Mam Point and nobody said hi. I'm like, you're joking me. Nobody said hi to me today. That's a disaster. But I feel like you do have to engage with them and also appreciate them. And yeah. I feel like I feel like there are people that have like tens of thousands of followers, but that they're not interactive followers. And so like that's a lot of mine are having the chats. And I think yeah. they you're building up a bigger connection there because they're, you know, they know you're a real person. You're not just some, like, I don't consider myself a blogger or anything. You're just, you're accessible. I'm just a comedian that's accessible. That's, that, that's it, I think. And so how many stories, like how often were you, were you going live in your, in your stories? Um, like my stories just happen throughout the day when I get a fit. Right. Um, and we obviously have this accidental thing where we are just we were running Trabulgan. Uh, no offense to the real Trabulgan. I um, absolutely hate to admit this, but I thought <laughs> early on that you had somehow ac- actually gotten yourself locked in at Trabulgan. <laughs> Somebody else said to me, they were like, "How could you see Porky Queen out the window?" Sorry, both of my children are suddenly. Oh, one of my children is oh, here. Oh, hello. Hello, Alfie. Say hi. You don't belong here. <laughs> uh, I'm not that guy on the news. Do you remember the guy? Yeah. The news? <laughs> yeah. But he pushed his children out of the room, whereas I would never do that. Um, <laughs> somebody else said that. They were like, how can she see Porky Queeve from Trabulgan? It makes yeah. no sense. Um, and Trabulgan was a complete fluke because I went the first day of the pandemic, I went and I got a load of art supplies for the kids. And so then I started on Instagram going, oh, we're doing Kitty's Club. And then Kitty's Club turned into. Uh, we're doing Katie's Love in Trabulgan and then Shane came in my husband and I was like here's fun Phil he's in charge of activities so at no point was it planned it just kind of escalated and then I did I did all these things that I thought were amazing content I did uh, a version of Fair City a version of Carnation Street a live coronavirus musical and I thought all of them would take off but it was people getting on to me about Trabulgan and I thought Trabulgan was neither here nor there I was like that's just what I do during the day like yeah, I was yeah. lives and they were all improvised, but I was like, this is like COVID Nation Street is amazing. But people didn't care less. I stopped doing them and not a single person said anything to me. If I didn't do a day at Trabulgan, I'd have somebody on going, what's after happened to Trabulgan? <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. so interesting yeah. because what you think is going to be your brilliant content as well is actually not. That's so when really I interesting, isn't it? Yeah. tried to make content, the audience were like, nah. I mean, they were into it, but they weren't like, yeah. I was like, oh, it's going to be brilliant now. But it was and like, it's true because I mean I couldn't even tell you I couldn't even tell you why or what it was but like 
there was just something compelling about this concept of being trapped into Trabulgan. Yeah. And then for ages, it was only the staff in Trabulgan. And then I suddenly was like, oh my God, we could have visitors. And now at the moment, there's about 10 of them and I can't get rid of any of them because um, people are attached to different ones. Yeah. So the- there's Americans with us. There is a Dublin family who are proving very divisive. And uh, there's the gang. There's this group of older women. Like, why are they trolling? It makes no sense. Um, and there's a love story going on. And I just can't keep track of it all. But um, I, I threatened to close it the other day in the gang. But we're like, don't you dare. Don't you dare. You can't close it yeah. down. So it's just mad. Like, I could spend ages. This is why I improvise. I could spend ages coming up with something. Yeah. People won't care. It's the accidental day-to-day stuff that people are all about because I think they know it's just me having the crack. I think that's what makes the difference. Right, right. And, and also, like I just want to say, I just want to say why well. I think of it as well. I have no idea why it is hilarious, but myself and Marcy were just in tears laughing at the songs at the window. Not really? Yeah. How funny. Yeah. That's so funny now because they're, again, they're divisive enough. They started as me just belting. I think it was because I lived in Ballycotton. So I wanted, when we moved here, I was like, oh my God, I can see Cork out my window. And then it ended up turning into people getting onto me for birthday requests. Um, and then I, for a while, I was like genuinely singing. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> this started off as messing. Um, but every now and again, a, a song bursts out of me and I feel the window is very appropriate. But a lot of people are really into thoughts from the loo as well, which is just, literally me sitting on the loo having thoughts um it's just hard to know yeah yeah all I think if you're doing it all to like mine is all to keep myself entertained and happy and it is an absolute bonus that it keeps other people happy as well but I'm not going to be to like I don't spend my days going right time now to do a bit of a bit of work I don't it's not work at all Um, and I've had a few people get on to me as well saying oh my god how does Shane put up with you I find that so from oh my god. I'm like oh Shane knew what he was getting into and is delighted. Like who wouldn't be thrilled to have this messer around all the time? Um now though there are bleak moments as well, but we don't put them up. Um but like I don't know, I, it's just me having the crack, really. I think yeah. I think you can tell on Instagram if it's authentic or not as well. Like sure. if it's fake, you're going to be allergic. And there are going to be people like that probably hate my face. That's fine. You know, the way sometimes you just don't that's enjoy just, That's face. just the world, isn't it? Yeah. You can't, you can't keep and everyone you, happy. Yeah. No, not so. And there's loads of people I hate their face for no reason. I'm like, why do I hate that? And, and you can learn to love a face. Recently, I've hated faces and actually learned to love sure. them. I'm like, oh, good. This is growth. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, I don't know. And just to compare, like, so I'm just curious because, like, you're, 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 nurturing your audience you're consistently putting content out there mm-hmm. um, and your audience is growing organically as a result um, yeah. with the cahoots on facebook was it a similar journey or was there a different method of developing that audience i feel with cahoots we just put out sketches and people like the sketches and then they travel um, and like the first sketch we put out was mindfulness, which I don't think very many people have seen. It was filmed in my parents' house by Sean O'Connor, actually. And uh, that was the very, very first one that went out. And people were just kind of into it, I think. And people would have followed codes in the early days because they knew us all individually. Um, 
but it was just kind of, it was kind of word of mouth. And I think the difference with Cahoots was we were putting out, they were high quality sketches to look at as well as everything else. You know, it wasn't just mm. us on our phones or anything. It was proper, um, what would you, cinematography really to be sure. arse about it. Um, so they looked a bit different. They looked a bit special. And I think you could feel uh, the kind of electric vibe between the what's that vibe uh, between the three of us, like a, a real, yeah. a, a real friendship and a love kind of bubbling um, under the surface the whole time. And the fact that I think the fact that we were always on the edge of laughing ourselves, the fact that we were clearly enjoying each other's uh, input and stuff, I feel. And and Ty used to always say that it's very rare that you have a sketch group that has a girl in it, which is obviously appalling, but it's yeah. always nice to see the dynamic of having an actual girl as opposed to guys playing girls. Um, and I think it was just word of mouth. It's so long ago, but it did just very, kind of travel. Very similar then, very similar in terms of, yeah, organic, putting content out there and it's... Well, and being it, accessible. Be, right. You know, being nice. We're not a dose. Like, you know, I think there are people who make uh, their, their followers follow them because they hate them a bit. And okay. you're in, like, what's this stupid one up to now? And that's terrible because that follower, you know, they're they're just hating on you. Whereas I feel like people do like us and I feel like people follow us because or us individually and collectively yeah. because we're we're nice. We're not adults sure. yeah. for the most part. We can be adults, but who can't? Who can't, yeah. And so you mentioned there about it it being unusual for a comedy troupe to have uh, a female member. Yeah. And I noticed that you had a a post on your Twitter um, about some of the things you come up against. Yeah, like a woman in comedy. Irish comedy, Irish comedy is in a tough place for women at the moment. And while I would never be uh, a voice, like I... I don't ever like, you know, nothing bad has happened to me, right? Thank God nothing bad has happened to me. There are people after coming forward in the Irish comedy world, male, female and everything, um, who have had an awful time, have had been sexually abused. And this is a, this is a bit like the Wake of the Feminist Me Too movement, which I said to you at the time, I was very much like, oh, I don't know. I, you know, I don't, does it do, is that my experience? I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And actually that's not, I just feel like that's not good enough at the moment that as a woman in comedy, it is certainly difficult at times. Uh, you're constantly having to justify your place. And this is not an anti-male thing. Uh, and I think as women as well, we can be quite bitchy. We can be quite competitive. And I've had to look inside myself and say, have I been supportive of female comics on nights that we've been on together? Have I been nice or have I been like, well, I'm the headliner, so I'll see you in a minute, seven minutes. Do you know what I mean? Like, as in, sure. you know, have I made feel girl, have I made girls feel comfortable? Or young males or, or anyone, has everyone felt comfortable that's worked with me? And I'd like to think they have. But I definitely think, I could go more out of my way to be supportive and protect right. young women. I think at the moment in the comedy scene, the problem is uh, that some of the people that hold the keys of the power are nasty little predators. And so, you know, I can see why they would be enticed to be in charge of clubs and stuff. But my thing, I haven't experienced any sexual abuse or anything in the comedy scene, but partly because I was married 
and in my 30s when I started. At no point was I, you know, young and single and vulnerable, which is terrible. Like, it's terrible that that, that would make things different. Yeah. But what I've encountered is a kind of inherent um, thing about women not being funny, both from comedians and audience members. Like, regularly, right. you'd get asked, are you funny? And I'm like, I am, yeah. I don't need, like, would you? Would you ask Tommy Tiernan, is he funny? Like, and then <laughs> you get a lot of uh, audience members will come up to you and go, oh my God, you're actually funny. And the implication is even though you're a girl. Um, and stuff like uh, you'd be told to steer clear of period jokes, right? Even though I've had to listen to 10 men in their manky t-shirts giving me seven minutes about wanking. And I'm like, and I have to stay away from period jokes, but I have to listen to this. Like, Crazy. what I yeah. have is the feeling that my audience will be predominantly female. You would never, ever assume that about a male comic. You would assume kind of half and half that a girl can equally find boys' topics or whatever funny. But there is a sense that only girls will enjoy girls' comedy, and that's not true. And when I'm on stage, I can see it. I've often called it out. There's always, at all of my gigs, a cranky man sitting up the front with his arms crossed going like, fuck this one now, right? And always, I say it to him at the start, I said, I see you. I can see you with your arms crossed and you look allergic. I said, I'll break you by the end of it. I said, you'll look <laughs> certain of it. Um, and they, they, more often than not, I will win them over, yeah. but they can always wait like, you won't. Yeah. Um, I'm like, oh, I will. I will. I don't know why he keeps going to my gig. There's one cranky fan, please. <laughs> He's obviously a big fan. But like, there is, it's unfortunate that there is a constant underbelly of like, well, are you funny? And as well, a big pet peeve of mine is people are often like, well, how do you juggle having kids and being a comedian? I'm like, there are male comedians. I have four and five kids. And sure. nobody asks them because yeah. the assumption is their little mammy is at home minding the kids. Are you joking me? Shane is more than capable of minding the kids. And actually being a comedian is a fairly all right job with kids because the kids are in bed when you're gigging. Sure. So yeah. lots of nights I put the kids to bed and then go out and do my gig. So it's just, and I'm guilty of it too. I have definitely in the past been like, you know, considered myself extraordinary because I'm a funny woman. That's terrible. Or I've been quick. I'm quick to be down chips on females. And whereas I'm much more accepting of men and that's inherent in myself. So I have to call that out in myself and, and, actively go out of my way to be supportive of women because I feel it's a bit like um you know they're saying now that you have to you can't just be not racist you have to be anti-racist and actively kind of say that's racism stop that it's the same with anti-female rhetoric or you know you're not a funny woman you have to be or and the same like when you're standing around in a club and there's seven lads and two girls and the lads are like talking sexual banter and stuff and you're meant to be okay with it like it's not necessarily directed at you, but it's kind of scummy talk. Like I feel I should yeah. be in a position to go, here lads, what is this? And equally, the men should also be like, let's not talk about this, this is yuck. Because why do I have to be okay with it? Yeah. And so instead of just standing there and being like, oh yeah, it's very funny there what you said about your willy, um, you should be able to say that's inappropriate. You know, I don't want yeah. you to talk about that. And also the problem is. Every night when a woman does her job in comedy, she's she's justifying herself. She's going up and beating the odds by being good. Like I've been at gigs where there's been men in front of me. I'm the headliner. There's been men do gigs. 
and they've, they're fine. They've done fine performances. And then I go up and storm it, right? Break the room apart with the laughter. Yeah. And when you come down, the lads are all like, hey, man, well done, bro. You're so brilliant. And then they ignore me. And sure. I'm like, are you that jealous that you can't say well done? Yeah. Like, because, and patting themselves on the back for jokes that are I've heard a thousand times. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> material, but there's also yeah. definitely, uh, you know, in the X Factor, maybe you don't know, Frank, you don't strike me as the X Factor type. But you uh, yeah, know, I don't think I've ever seen um, Simon Cowell, you say things like, you know, in the audition stages, somebody would go in and sing and Simon Cowell would be like, you just can't sing. The greatest kindness I can give you is to tell you, you just can't sing. It's the same with comedians. They should be told you're rubbish. You need to never do this again. But in open mics and stuff, people just get their seven minutes then they get 10 minutes then they get 15 minutes. They're not better. Their material is shite and they look like they haven't watched. And I'm like, it's not good enough. We should aim for higher standards. Sure on merit I equally sorry I got very very preaching now but equally I have also been put on all female lineups and the club has been like we're putting you on an all female lineup as in like we have done this great service to the world now we're putting on all women I don't want to be in an all female lineup I want to be on a lineup where I think each of the comics is gas I might find them all laugh out loud hilarious but I want to be on a lineup where I'm like that person's great that person always goes down well don't care what gender they are. I just like, I just wanted to be on merit. If you're funny, you get the gig. And if you're shite, you get told to stay at home and have a wash. We have to address it. We have to address it. And there's obviously much worse, but that's the kind of minor stuff that's going on in the background the whole time. Sure. Yeah. Lockdown also, uh, Disrupted your plans for the People's Princess, didn't it? World People's Princess. Uh, another blow for the People's Princess. Um, yes, it was due to be on the 14th of March in the Everyman. And I was bawling, crying on the Thursday because I didn't know whether it was going ahead and I didn't want it to go ahead. Right. I was petrified that it would have to because it wouldn't have been my call to pull it. Right. I was on that. I remember on the phone to my mom going, I just don't want it to happen because first of all, half the crowd wouldn't have turned up. And second of all, if anyone had gotten sick and it had been at my gig, I'd have just been. Sure. So I mean, it was like, it was, if it wasn't sold out, it was certainly like it was all but sold out. Wasn't oh, it? there was only about, I'd say maximum 20 to 30 tickets yeah. left. And they would have gone, I think as well. But the, the, the sales just stopped towards, you know, cause that was a really dodgy week. It was just before yeah. long announced so I was on to Julie and the Everyman she was so supportive and she was waiting to hear and we were all waiting to hear and then uh, I was driving out to collect my little girl and I heard Leo on the radio saying something like gatherings under whatever number and I was like well that's what's going so then we rescheduled it for July but we never announced it and obviously it became apparent that that wouldn't happen so I asked Julie could we move it to next year Um, and so we did but I asked her could I do two she said you can so I don't know yet when it'll be but hopefully it'll do two nights and hopefully there'll be stupid social distancing yeah Um, because that I mean that would be um that would be a killer for comedy I was thinking about that about how you know there's certain things you can experience and and actually there's certain things that I'd like to go see and I'd quite like to have the space around me but comedy you kind of need to be laughing with the person next to you don't you you do and like Okay, you could play to a venue at half capacity, of course, but ideally the half would be squished in together. Like yeah. they'd 
you know, you'd sell out downstairs the Everman first. Yeah. Um, that obviously wouldn't be the case to be very spread out. You definitely do need that kind of rolling sense of we're all laughing. Yeah, together. you kind of give each other permission to enjoy yes, it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The loudest laugher gives everyone else the, the permission. Thankfully, my husband is a very loud laugher, so usually it's a good <laughs> bar. Um, yeah. But as well for smaller clubs, like, you know, we regularly gig upstairs in the roundy. I mean, that's not going to be feasible at the moment. Sure. Though I do think when it becomes feasible, I am very optimistic that people will be dying to get back to things and wanting to go to stuff. Um, who knows? But that that would be my hope. But yeah, comedy, you do, you need the crowd. The one thing I thought about, we did the improv panto in the opera house and I'm like, we never, you know, it's never fully sold out. It's always very close. We've about 700. But I'm like, it's about, improv is about one of the, one, like improv in the opera house you could pull that off with social distancing. You definitely could. I don't know what it be worth it to open the operas, but right. I'm like, with our, you know, 700, space them out. Maybe don't let them have the drinks. It could be done. We just right. have to see. But yeah. I'm optimistic that things will, things will pick up. But as well, yeah. about the gig in the Everyman, I wasn't ready, Frank, if I'm honest. And I think I knew it wasn't going to happen. And you know that last week where you kind of pull everything together mm-hmm. for and I couldn't do it. I was sitting at the kitchen table and I was trying to get the set in my head and, you know, make the links between all the parts. And I just wasn't doing it. I had this sense. I'm like, this gig isn't happening. And I think I had that sense right. from like, even before there was a word mentioned about coronavirus. I just was like, I can't see this happening. So I'm actually quite relieved it didn't happen because I wasn't ready. It wouldn't have been, it would have been a great show, but it wouldn't have been slick. It wouldn't have been the kind of, you know, everything like I did a joke in the first half that kind of connects back to something in the second half, you know, right. really time to make that work. Sure. Um, I hadn't done the work. I hadn't done the work. So I was quite glad that it was cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that there's a, a, a fairly definite plan um, to, to, uh, to reschedule it and that, uh, and yeah, I'm sure it will just, uh, sell out straight away again when the, well, when the dates this are announced. Well, the hope, the gangbang now need to put their money where their mouth is. Well, be like, we're all going on a big, a big gangbang night out. Well, give me, yeah, give me a heads up beforehand so that I can get a ticket before, <laughs> before, before it sells gang- out. <laughs> I'm saying you're not a member of the gangbang friend. Fender, Fender, no, Fender. I am, but yeah, I yeah. want to be the first to hear. Yes. Okay. 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 Good. Good. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be brilliant when it happens. It'll be like the best party ever. But yeah, uh, I'm, it, there's no point in doing it this year. It'll be just getting my hopes up and then crushing them again. Um, so we'll do it next year. Yeah. This, be, be this has been, uh, yeah, it's just been a fantastic chat. Um, absolutely brilliant. And hope and yeah, just yeah, so informative, so much insight into I think you know building an audience, mm-hmm. and definitely the importance of I think nurturing nurturing your audience is is a huge. And I thing. think to just if I can add, like as you get older, like I'm 35 now apparently, according to my birth cert, which I find rude. Um, but I think as you get older, you make the choices that make more sense for you. Yeah. And in my 20s. I was being an actor and I was walking, the, I said this to you, I was walking the space and I was sighing out the colour red and all this that I consider to be entirely, utterly bollocks. But I did that in my 20s and then yeah. I grew up and I, you know, life happened and I had my priorities changed and all of that. And it has been 
the greatest pleasure to just decide to be a comedian and not, I don't have to pretend to give two shits anymore about pretending, you know, here's the script, Laura, and I want you to do the script as if you're a fish. Like, I don't have to do that anymore. I did it. I did my time. But I do think for anyone listening that's young and wants to, you know, like, how do you make it all happen? Sometimes life just has to happen first. And it doesn't happen in your 20s necessarily. Uh, I feel in my 30s, I'm much closer to whatever it is happening. But you have to know that you're in, in the right place at the right time, I think, always. So yeah. even though I couldn't have done stand-up as a 21-year-old, I might have been funny, but I don't think I'd have had enough life experience. So I didn't do it until I was in whatever age I was. I don't know what age I was when I started. But like, I feel like just know that stuff can happen at any age. If it happens to you very young, it's because you're amazing. We're talking about like the likes of your man and normal people or the girl and normal people or whatever. But like, uh, just sometimes you have to like, oh, I've done so much. I've done so much shit. I've been Mrs. Claus at the Douglas Santa, you know, thinking this is this is high art here now. And I've, I've done lots of tough jobs. I've done many workshops that I pretended to care deeply about. And at the time I was, and then straight away afterwards, I'm like, couldn't give a shit. Um, but it takes a while to find yourself. I feel like I've found my voice yeah. in my thirties of like, yeah. I'm doing this. I don't like doing that. And whereas in my twenties, I'm like, I don't like doing that, but I'd better be seen to be doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's pointless, pointless workshop. But that's just me. Other people love that kind of stuff, but I think it's, it's so freeing. Yeah. And I find comedy like this to be able to just be myself now. I don't have to hide behind anything. I'm just like, here I am. If you like me, be part of the gangbang. If you don't flog off, I don't want to see you. I don't want to negativity I've no interest in feedback I just want to have the crack and if you don't want to have the crack with me then oh, as my mother says off you must fuck Cora um, <laughs> Daily special um, so I just feel like don't worry you'll find your voice like I'd love to go back and do drama and theatre studies now in my 30s I'd last about two weeks because I'd be like nah ridiculous but at the time I needed it do you know what yeah. I mean yeah. kind of like this whole tough and your real self will emerge and the stuff you actually want to do and give time to become clearer as you go along. Like when you're 20, I think you say yes to everything because I'm like, oh, this could be it now. This, this weird play where I don't say anything. I just shake a shaker in the background. This could make me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, whole talk. Brilliant. So how do people find you on Instagram if they're not already following um, you, which they absolutely should be? They should be Laura Lol's lots, which is the most unfortunate handle, but it's what we're stuck with. Um, <laughs> and if you find me and leave me, then you'll find me outside your house going, why did you leave me? Laura, thank you so much. You're absolutely brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Please do subscribe if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you usually listen to podcasts. I'm Frank Prendergast. You can find me on Twitter at Frankie P. And if you're looking for a quick, easy and affordable professional actor's website, please do check out www.mysite.actor. Great. See you next time. Cheers. Cheers.